I would go to the library. I would pull out all of the ones that I had not read. And my mom got to the point where I think she was like worried about me. (laughs) And she was like, you can't just read this. You have to read other books. And I was like, why? And actually, you know, I think my mom would probably laugh at the story now. And I would love to know like why she was so worried about it. She like banned Babysitter's Club for a summer. (laughs) And she made me read Jane Eyre. Hello, hi. Welcome to today's episode. I'm really excited to bring you this new podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Erin. I'm a mom of three, a hospital administrator in Ontario, Canada, host and founder of the Medium Lady Community and the Medium Lady Talks podcast. And I'm Jillian, an Instagram content strategist for bookish people, a mom to two, and we're based in Buffalo, New York. And together we're bringing you this new podcast, Medium Lady Reads. This is a podcast about reading as self-care, a passionate love for the public library, and plenty of thoughts and opinions about book culture having its moment. So hi, Jillian, and hi, everyone listening. Thanks for joining us on this special episode as we embark on this new project. Jillian and I are really thrilled to bring to you the very first Medium Lady spinoff podcast, (laughs) Medium Lady Reads, which is an entirely book-focused podcast to your feed today. I had been thinking for a while about all of the bookish content that inspires me and gets me excited, and I have brought a fair bit of that bookish content to the Medium Lady Talks podcast, but I felt like I was managing a plethora of book ideas for podcasts, and I really felt like I needed another bucket to put all of that excitement and energy. And so Jillian and I had kind of been talking and chatting about this a little bit off and on. And then I said, you know what, I can't imagine doing this with anyone other than Jillian, who is an incredible reader. Jillian, I find your reading so inspiring and so much of my TBR is influenced by what you're reading. And so I invited you to co-host Medium Lady Reads with me. And here we are. I'm so glad we're here. Yes, me too. Thank you so much. Thank you for thinking of me and asking me and it's all it's all very exciting to me I had wanted to I have wanted to do a podcast for about six months or so and it's not something I've ever done I'm more of the writer blogger person and doing it on myself by myself kind of scared me a little bit so when you were messaging me talking about this and your dream and what you thought of it what you thought we could do and I kept thinking to myself, oh my gosh, please ask me, please ask me. Is she going to ask me to be your co-host? And I just kept going over and over in my head thinking, please ask me. And then like, I don't know, a couple seconds later, you asked me, this is via WhatsApp, so it's, you know, a message, but you asked me whether I would like to do this with you. And I was so, so excited. And I literally could not wait till you finished your message so that I could send another one back to you telling you, (laughs) yes, I'm in, please, please, please. (laughs) Here we are, match made in heaven. And uh, we're really excited to bring this to you. We have a lot of great ideas. Um, I have a feeling this is going to be really rewarding and and exciting for both of us. And that's that's the main point as we pursue this creative project together. We're going to just kind of dive in. And um, today we are talking about the books that turned us into readers. And we hope that while you're listening to this episode, you think about the books that turned you readers. Before we do that, though, Jillian, we're going to kind of warm up a bit. Jillian, how's your reading going? It's okay. I got to be honest. May was a rough month for me. I don't know what it was. I know there was a book or two that I read 
read that was a bit slow. We started off with one of our buddy reads and I didn't love the book that we read as a buddy read. I don't know. It kind of felt weird. So I struggled to really get a ton in. I'm usually an eight to nine book a month person and I'm not, please do not, no one needs to compete with me or like try to meet my goals. I, this is just, that's my big hobby, but I think I might've only hit six or seven mm. in May, which is weird for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this month I'm starting off strong with uh, Demon Copperhead and it's really, really good. Nice, nice, nice. What about you? Thanks for asking. Um, My reading is going really well right now. I find that I'm in my sweet spot when I have an audiobook, a nonfiction and a fiction kind of going simultaneously. And so I can kind of, I can have like some stuff on the docket when I have time to read. But I found actually that I had a lot of novels on the go and that was getting me a little bit like tripped up in the rules. I was like, oh, I'm breaking the rules. I don't have a nonfiction on the go right now. But, you know, it's always important to just sort of realize that like the rules are fake and everything is made up and nothing really matters. And <laughs> it's hard to do that. It is hard to do that. <laughs> I think it's it's the big sister, the you know oldest sister or oldest sibling thing. You know, it's hard to like break those rules in your head that you don't have to follow what you've already always done. It's okay to break that. Yeah. And that's like you saying, like, you know, I like to know that I'm on pace to read eight or nine books a month. And then the months when you don't, you know, you kind of like carry that around like this stone in your belly. You're like, you're like, yes, things are not okay because I haven't read eight or nine books. And it's a good opportunity to to check in with you. I like actually this, like this opportunity to say like, my reading's going okay, but like I'm in my head a little bit. And again, I think the volume of reading, I hope that listeners see that as an opportunity to get a lot of content from Jillian and I, not as a way to pace set yourself against us as readers. We do both read quite a lot. I'm excited about that because I know that we're going to be able to bring some books to you that maybe you're not aren't on your radar. And um, and that's because we're reading a lot and, and we're doing that for ourselves. We're not doing it for you. But I like to see it as an added strength of the podcast. Uh, Medium Lady Reads is that you can trust that we're checking out a lot of books. And that means you don't have to be checking out a lot of books because you can come here and hear what uh, what we're thinking and what we're learning. And as the episodes go on, you'll learn more about the sweet spot of reading for Jillian and I, and you'll learn to find out what you can trust us for with recommendations and where perhaps um, you can you can trust that we're potentially have tastes that are opposite of yours. And that's okay, too. Uh, one of our bookish friends, Steph Cunningham, and I are sometimes quite opposite in terms of what we like and what we don't like. Uh, and that's actually really, really fun. So you'll hear a lot of the time Jillian and I liking the same books. And there'll be times as well when you hear that, you know, there's books that uh, are, are doing different things for us at different times. Um, so Jillian, do you want to dive into the theme of the episode today? Books that turned us readers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. When it comes to reading, I don't really believe that there's a right or wrong way to do it. Audiobooks, ebooks, physical, whatever works for you works for me. And I think in most of the bookish community, that is true. But regardless of how we intake our books, there were those books or books that sparked the love of reading in us as a child or even as an adult, as Aaron and I will share in just a bit. They stand out. They bring us a sense of joy when we think of them. And a couple of weeks ago, Aaron and I sat down to discuss topic ideas for our podcast episodes. One thing I mentioned was a big question readers often ask each other is, which book or books really stand out to you as the pivotal book that turned you into a reader? For me, it's fun to dive into this topic because the genre of books divulged often run the gamut and gives you a little snapshot into the type of reader a person is. 
With that said, in today's episode, Aaron and I are going to be discussing which books from our own lives that stand out in our minds as the books we fell in love with and helped turn us into the readers we are today. So, Erin, what was it that led you to discover your love of reading? Oh, I really liked thinking about this. And there are two moments when I sort of turned a reader. I became a book lover. And I thought it was funny that there are actually two moments. One as a child and the second as an adult. Probably like in my later 20s after I got married. I got married when I was 23. And I'm thinking about the time when I was around like 27, 28. So my books and Jillian and I are each going to share three choices The books that I'm going to share today are really very much the kinds of books that take me back to those moments in life, uh, which I really enjoyed that kind of like time travel bit. And I'm so glad you suggested this premise because it's something I wouldn't have thought of. And that's going to be some of the magic and joy of this podcast and us together is bringing our different ideas together to share with the audience. So at first, when I thought of that question, you know, what are the books that turned me a reader? I was a little bit daunted. My first instinct was like, well, I've always been a reader. And I couldn't quite separate that from my identity to be like, there was no before being a reader and after being a reader. But actually, that's not true. There was a really long stretch when I wasn't reading on purpose. Like a friend might lend me a book and I'd enjoy it, but I wasn't really actively pursuing like a TBR or a to be read pile. You're going to hear the word TBR all the time in this podcast. When I was doing my nursing undergraduate degree, I I think of myself as hardly reading at all, except like nursing textbooks and journals. <laughs> not feeding the soul, but feeding my brain. And I definitely was not loving the library the way I do now. And and I didn't have a budget for books because I was a student. So I'm pretty sure I really wasn't reading actively. But after I graduated, I made friends with a few nurses in my unit, one of whom belonged to a book club. And reading is something that is like very adjacent to nursing. I don't know how many people know this, but there's a lot of nursing readers out there. And that's because you might have a night shift and you might bring along a book with the hopeful fingers crossed chance that you might like get to read on your break. Although nursing these days is so fast paced and so fast and furious, but um, I'm hopeful that nurses are still bringing their books to read on their breaks. It's an escape when you're providing that intense patient facing care and then you can dip into like a fantasy YA fiction. It's, it's, it's a really like good break. It's a true break. And this was before I had a smartphone to scroll Instagram. <laughs> I think if I'd had a smartphone to scroll Instagram, I probably would be doing that on my break. But um, I didn't have that. So I was really in an environment where people were talking about books and people were reading. One of my nurse colleagues, Beth, invited me to join a book club with her older sister and her friends. And I joined that. And then my reading kind of took off from there as an adult. And I think I've been reading pretty consistently since then. So my first book, that was a long preamble, but my first book that turned me back into a reader is actually my favorite book of all time, which is Cutting for Stone by Abraham Verghese. Cutting for Stone was published in 2009, and I think I must have read it around that time or after. And this is listed as historical fiction, but there's a very, very long timeline in the book that takes place between Africa and the U.S. So here's a little bit of the premise. A sweeping, emotionally riveting first novel, an enthralling family saga of Africa and America, doctors and patients, exile and home. And I just like got goosebumps reading that. (laughs) Marion and Shiva Stone are twin brothers born of a secret union between a beautiful Indian nun and a brash British surgeon at a mission hospital in Addis Ababa. Orphaned by their mother's death in childbirth and their father's disappearance, bound together by a preternatural connection and a shared fascination with medicine, the twins come of age as Ethiopia hovers on the brink of revolution. Yet it will be love, not politics, their passion for the same woman, that will tear them apart and force Marion, fresh out of medical school, to flee his homeland. 
an unforgettable journey into one man's remarkable life and an epic story about power, intimacy, and the curious beauty of the work of healing others. Now, I remember this being a book club list with Beth, and I remember reading it and loving it, but I do not remember the book club meeting at all. And I actually have a lot of weird memories about that book club, which is maybe another episode. (laughs) But here's a little more quick information about this book. So Cutting for Stone was published in 2009, and it stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for over two years. One of the things that catapulted it was it was listed as Barack Obama's reading list for that summer. And Barack Obama is an avid reader, and he shares his reading list quite often. And they they are very much, I think, something that uh, people who are bookish, especially literary fiction and literary nonfiction, uh, people tune into Barack for his, I just said Barack, like, you know, Barack, mm-hmm. uh, President... <laughs> President Obama, people tune in to see um, what he's into. The point of view of the book. So most of the book is presented from Marion's point of view, but he does travel backwards in time to share the point of view of characters in the book, including his mother, who dies at the beginning of the story. The themes are, I would say, medical care plays a huge theme in this book, which is probably one of the things as to why it hooked into my heart so quickly. Trying to control the uncontrollable is a pretty consistent part of the narrative. Love and betrayal what makes family. Um, It contains tropes of like the brotherly love, the twin brother trope, the tragic hero trope. And I just, you know, like I still think of this book so fondly. There are some really pivotal moments about medicine and nursing in particular. There's a really strong nurse character who's a nun sister, and she has really strong points of view about nursing. And I think that that is just one of those things that stick with me. And after I read this book, I thought I have to read more, you know, like it was such a such a soul filling experience that I had to have more. It didn't have to always be books like Cutting for Stone. And it actually often isn't because cutting for stone is a once in a lifetime kind of book but um you know i just had to have more of that soul-filling experience and i think i've been picking up books pretty much ever since jillian have you read cutting for stone i have a while ago so i don't really remember it but i do remember it being very heavy yeah emotionally yeah but in like a good way. Yeah. So listening to you talk about it, I want to go back and reread it. There are so many books that as I went through this whole, you know, preparing for this episode that I'm like, I think I really want to go reread this Me book. too. Me too. And I was sort of <laughs> thinking like, oh my gosh, my TBR is already so long and I'm going to be rereading these books. So <clears throat> I actually might do it in audio because I've never done it in audio. I've read it a couple times, but I've never done it in audio. So I might try and find the audio. Okay, that was that was a long one for me. I think we're going to get uh, better at this as we go on. Jillian, what book did you put on the list of books that made you a reader? So I have a very similar story to Erin in that I was a really, really avid reader when I was a kid. I pretty much read constantly, but somewhere between being a kid and, and a grown up, probably college age, maybe getting the nine to five job, I kind of forgot what it was like to be a reader. I would read books, mainly nonfiction, and it would be ones that were recommended to me or that I saw people I followed on Instagram or Facebook recommending, but I wasn't really reading and I kind of forgot that. Like I wasn't even like a thought, maybe I should pick up a a fictional novel. I just forgot. However, around the start of the pandemic, I connected with a woman on Instagram. Her name is Liz. Her handle is at everyone's librarian. And Liz is a very avid reader. She pretty much reintroduced me to the love of reading after being away for about 17 years. It was kind of eye-opening, like, holy crap, this is what I've been missing for two, almost two decades. So 2019, I only read about 16 books. And then 2020, I bumped up to 58. And I've been increasing every year. Not that I'm really competing with myself. It's just the fact that 
just like any skill, the more you do it, the faster you get. So it's kind of what's been happening. And now I actually track a TBR and I'm very actively borrowing books from the library. So I am able to be mindful of what I'm borrowing from the library versus just what people recommend to me. But the first book I wanted to mention as a book that turned me into a reader was Sold on a Monday by Christina McMorris. Sold on a Monday is listed as historical fiction. And honestly, it's a very, very sad premise. But it was given to me as a gift by Liz, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it spurred me forward through the rest of the year. So here's the setup. Two children for sale. The scrawled sign peddling young siblings on a farmhouse porch captures the desperation sweeping the country in 1931. It's an era of bread lines, bank runs, and impossible choices. For struggling reporter Ellis Reed, the gut-wrenching scene evokes memories of his family's dark past. He snapshots a photo of the children, not meant for publication, but when the image leads to his big break, the consequences are devastating in a way he had never imagined. Haunted by secrets of her own secretary, Lillian Palmer sees more in the picture than a good story and is soon drawn into the fray. Together, the two set out to right a wrongdoing and mend a fractured family at the risk of everything they value. Inspired by an actual newspaper photo that stunned readers across the nation, this touching novel explores the tale within the frame and behind the lens, a journey of ambition, love, and the far-reaching effects of our actions. It was heart-wrenching, and as a mom, when I read the book, I remember feeling that my heart broke a little bit, thinking about how it would be possible to put a sign on your children that's saying they were up for sale. But as you read the book, you learn a lot about the strength of a mom because of why she did it. And, you know, the whole journey from putting them up to the conclusion, it was, it's a lot and it definitely is not going to be a book for everyone, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it, it was so good that it was, what can I read next? What book can let my mind escape the pandemic at that time into a new world and just enjoy it and completely get absorbed into it? I've never read this. It's really good. It seems like a mood read. And I think that's something that I wouldn't be able to have discerned when I turned back into a reader. I was just kind of reading the next thing that either had a good cover or was getting good reviews. But now I'm like trying harder to pick the books that are aligned with sort of where my energy is at. But I've never read this, but it sounds great. It is. It's very, very good. Just probably some trigger warnings for those who mm. are struggle with any sort of books about children and, and potential abuse and things like that. I would definitely recommend looking into those. Okay, so Erin, what is the next book that made you a reader? Okay, so I debated this next book heavily because there were a few from my like book club era that got me thinking about genre and like what I liked and what I didn't like that put me on the path that I'm on now, maybe like 15 years later. What were the books that sort of like put me on a fork in the road left or right to keep me reading? Whereas sometimes, you know, like, and there's maybe listeners who can relate to this is you have a book in your hands and it kind of stalls you out. And you don't pick up a book for a really, really long time because you're stalled out by that one book. And we all feel this pressure is like you start what you finish. So if you pick up a book and you haven't finished it, you need to finish it before you can move on and indulge in another book. And that's something that's a myth that Jillian and I will keep trying to dispel to you through Medium Lady Reads and future episodes. But I think that there were some some books that maybe uh, kept my momentum because I wasn't stalling out. So this next book, I was trying to think of a book in that book club era, but then I actually thought about high school reading because in high school you're reading because you have to, but that can sometimes also influence you reading because you want to. I think that's probably the the hope of many, many teachers out there. 
So in high school, there was a specific book and a specific genre that I definitely found myself seeking out afterwards, and that is science fiction. And the book I'm going to share is called Ender's Game. It's by Orson Scott Card. And then there was a series of books that followed, and I've read those books as well. So (laughs) I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that this is a book that turned me into a reader. I'm wondering how many of my friends or people in my generation who read this book in grade nine are like groaning right now. They're like, oh, I hated that book. Science fiction. Ew, gross. And I feel like this is a real like nerdy keener choice. So I'm a little self-conscious, but it's the truth. It is a book that turned me a reader because for the five to six years that followed, I would find myself picking up the rest of the books in this series and feeling really compelled by the layered nuance of storytelling within the sci-fi genre. Ender's Game is considered a science fiction classic. So here's a little bit of the premise. Andrew Ender Wigan thinks he's playing a computer simulated war games when he is, in fact, engaged in something far more desperate. The result of genetic experimentation, Ender may be the military genius Earth desperately needs in a war against an alien enemy seeking to destroy all human life. The only way to find out is to throw Ender into even harsher training, to chip away and find the diamond inside, or destroy him utterly. Ender Wigan is six years old when it begins, and he will grow up fast. But Ender is not the only result of the experiment. The war with the buggers has been raging for a hundred years, and the quest for the perfect general has been underway for almost as long. Ender's two older siblings, Peter and Valentine, are every bit as unusual as he is, but in very different ways. While Peter was too uncontrollably violent, Valentine very nearly lacks the capability for violence altogether. Neither was found suitable for the military's purpose, but they are driven by their jealousy of Ender and by their inbred drive for power. So some quick info about this book. This book was written as a short story in 1975, but completed later as a novel in 1985. So like a whole decade later, evolved into something quite different and then evolved into, I think, like five or six books that followed afterwards. I think the reason this captured my attention so much is that I never realized that science fiction could also be sort of pulled apart for thematic analysis. And when you're in English class. That's essentially what they're teaching you. And that's a practice that like, I still really love to this day. I still really love pulling apart a book and saying, what is this book? What are the messages that this book is actually trying to say about things that maybe aren't actually happening in the story? Most of the book is presented from Ender's point of view, although we occasionally do have the view of a couple of other side characters, the siblings, for example. The themes, very thematic on on the idea of a game. What makes a game a game? What makes a game more serious? The roles of children in the world, the roles that children play as like the hope for humanity. There's a lot of themes about compassion and empathy, ruthlessness. Some of the tropes in this book, I would say, like is very heavy on the child savior trope. Um, very heavy on the complicated protagonist trope. You know, again, Ender is seen as this child savior, but there is a lot of violence. I would say there's a trigger warning for violence in this book. And Ender is often the one dealing out that violence. So you kind of get a little bit of like, how can someone who's seen as being so good also be so violent? Orson Scott Card wrote five other parts to the Ender series in addition to creating several new series. I think there were lots of plays, short stories, and a handful of other novels. Notable thing is that Ender's Game won both the Hugo Award and the Nebula Awards. And then the sequel also won the Hugo Award and the Nebula Award. These are awards for science fiction writing. And it's very notable to win both in one year. It's not very um, often happening. You know, I thought to myself, like we said before, like, should we reread? I want to reread 
um, cutting for stone. I want to read, I want to read the book that you suggested. And I thought, you know, I still might really like this book, but so many things that we love from our past, I think we're finding as millennials are be- becoming problematic. Mm-hmm. And there was a small part in my brain that was like, I should just check and see if this has got become problematic in the time since it was part of school. And so is it problematic, Jillian? And I found out, yes, yes, it is. It is indeed problematic. So not Ender's Game, the book so much uh, as Orson Scott Card, who has been vocally against laws that support same-sex marriage wrote a very thinly veiled racist uh, fiction piece in 2013 that was speculative fiction about Barack and Michelle Obama. So, you know, (laughs) that leaves me with a lot of ick about this book um, and especially the author. Like Jillian, what do you think about this? Like we're not the only readers who are captivated into reading by problematic authors. No, no, definitely not. The um, JK Rowling is a great example of this where her books are just incredible but she is not an incredible person. So I I don't know, it's hard. You know, it's certainly, I think, okay to reread it for nostalgia's sake, but, you know, I think it kind of, for me, it feels like if I'm borrowing it from the library, I feel a little bit more okay about things versus buying it straight off the shelf. Yeah. And supporting the author. Right, right, right. That's a good way of putting it, I think, is like consuming the material without putting money in that person's pocket or amplifying their platform. Yeah. And I think it's actually something that like our parents didn't have to deal with. I agree. And I hope our kids don't have to deal with. I think it's kind of this like interesting period in time that we we do have a responsibility to kind of reckon with these things more so than folks in the past. You know, even even authors like Dr. Zeus, for example. Yeah. Yeah. We just have to make we have to develop conviction about the right way to approach and treat uh, authors and their art and their content. Okay, that was a lot for my second book. Okay, Jillian, what is your next book that turned you a reader? For my next book, I chose a book that I read in seventh or eighth grade. I can't really remember. It was a book that stuck with me for the past 28 years. And I chose A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith. I remember sitting curled up in my bed. I had, we had bunk beds, my sister and I, and I had the top bunk. So I remember sitting up there reading this book, hurting for Francie, the main character, as she went through so many of life's hardships. I haven't read it since eighth grade, though. But when I'm asked by anyone what my favorite book is from childhood, I always, always say A Tree Grows in Brooklyn because I know that I loved it. I remember talking about it constantly at the time. But I mean, it's been a lot of years since I was in seventh or eighth grade. <laughs> As this is a classic, I feel like many of our listeners may have already read this, but here's a little synopsis. A Tree Grows in Brooklyn is a poignant and moving tale filled with compassion and cruelty, laughter and heartache, crowded with life and people and incident. The story of young, sensitive and an idealistic Francie Nolan and her bittersweet formative years in the slums of Williamsburg has enchanted and inspired millions of readers for more than 60 years by turns overwhelming, sublime, heartbreaking and uplifting. The daily experience of the unforgettable Nolans are raw with honesty and tenderly threaded with family connectedness and a work of literary art, but brilliantly captures a unique time and place, as well as an incredibly rich moment of universal experience. I remember as I read this book, I cried so hard. And I actually believe that this might be one of the reasons why I love books today that make me cry. (laughs) The more emotional upheaval, the better, which I know not everyone agrees with, <laughs> but I really love a book where you cry. Like You'll see it on, on TikTok or Instagram where they'll it'll be a reel 
and the person will, you know, say something like, these books killed me. And the second you read, you watch it, you wa- read through all the novels that they are listing. I am the person who goes and adds almost every one to my TBR or to my library holds because I love crying from books. I don't know why. I can't explain it. <laughs> that might sound weird, but I'm an empath. So I feel everything super strongly anyway. So when I come across a book that leans into deep feelings, I always like to jump in and read it. And I almost feel sort of comforted by it. It's hard to put it into words exactly what I mean. So let's just say I enjoy reading emotional books. Erin, how do you feel about books that make you cry or just are highly emotional? I will say I wouldn't avoid a book that someone says is highly emotional, but I don't, I'm not compelled to, to add them to my pile. I'll say. And sometimes for me, I like to be surprised. Like I like crying from a book to be a rare experience. And usually to me, that signifies like a book that really brought me on a journey, a book that wasn't like trying to manipulate me into crying, if that makes sense. Um, I wouldn't say I find it comforting. It definitely usually like if I'm reading a book and it's like four or five stars and then I cry at the end, it will automatically bump it into five stars. And I'd usually have a more memorable experience when I cry with books, but it's not. But let's like at the at the back end of the reading experience. I'm not against books that make me cry, but that's after reading them. Before reading them, if someone's like, this book is going to make you cry, I'd be like, all right, that's interesting. We'll see. <laughs> I'll be like, <laughs> I'll be the judge of what makes me cry. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I, I'm a sap. I cry at almost Aww. everything. You know, McDonald's commercials on the TV about whatever it might be, I'm crying. So it's almost guaranteed that if someone says it made them cry, it's going to make me cry too. But I like that you know that about yourself and you look for that experience. That is the thing that we want listeners to yeah. latch on to is the best kind of reading is when you know what you need and you can find it. Absolutely agree. Yeah, that's when reading becomes self-care for sure. Okay, so what is the last book that you believe helped shape you as a reader, Erin? Okay, this one, I feel like we started with our adult readers. We're time traveling back to our childhood. My third book is Anna Green Gables by Lucy Bond Montgomery. I have read and reread this book many times. It is probably like a rite of passage for Canadian girls. I don't know if it has the same hold in the U.S. At least it used to be. The story is so romantic and playful and descriptive. Anna Green Gables takes place on Prince Edward Island, which is a Canadian province on our Atlantic coast. The island itself plays a supporting character in the series, which is seven books that follow Anne from her childhood all the way through to actually some books focus on her daughters. But Anne of Green Gables itself is very much about her coming of age from the age of like 11 to like her late teens. So here's a bit of synopsis. This heartwarming story has beckoned generations of readers into the special world of Green Gables, an old-fashioned farm outside a town called Avonlea. Anne Shirley, an 11-year-old orphan, has arrived in this verdant corner of Prince Edward Island only to discover that the Cuthberts, elderly Matthew and his stern sister Marilla, want to adopt a boy, not a feisty, red-headed girl. But before they can send her back, Anne, who simply must have more scope for her imagination in a real home, wins them over completely. A much-loved classic that explores all the vulnerability, expectations, and dreams of a child growing up, Anne of Green Gables is also a wonderful portrait of a time, a place, a family, and most of all, love. So here's a bit of quick information about this book. Anne of Green Gables is a children's classic published in 1908. 
the book does take place in Avonlea, Prince Edward Island, is set in the late 18th century, and it's been adapted and readapted many times over, inspired other spin-off novels, television shows, movies, musicals, <laughs> comic books, etc. Most of the book is presented from an external narrator, but the world is built by Anne and her imagination. And Anne, in many ways, sees the world the way no one else can. She's kind of magical in that way, although the book doesn't focus on magic. Her superpower is her charm and her ability to bring others along to enjoy the experience of just living life in the present. The themes of this book include found family. Uh, Jillian, you know I love a found family. And listeners will find that out, too, over more uh, episodes. Also, friendship, nature. There's a lot of descriptions of the landscape um, in this book. Coming of age. Uh, the tropes do include that sort of small town vibe. You know, the small town cast of characters, you know, the nosy neighbor and the, you know, prim school teacher and naughty boy bully types of characters. There's also the trope of the ugly duckling. So Anne Shirley, she's redheaded. She has freckles. She often bemoans her appearance, but she does kind of grow into a great beauty. That's not really the focus of the book, but it, it is does kind of happen. The book is so special to my heart. I still reread it every now and then. The writing is honestly one of a kind. And there isn't just, you know, this character, Anne, who is, she's the definition of precocious. But there's also Marilla and the other adults around Anne who don't really seem to know what to do with her or how to react to her. It takes on a whole new perspective. And, you know, I definitely think that Anne is what I think of when I think of mindful fun. One of the things that I talk about in my life is just kind of like grounding yourself in the present moment and finding the joy in whatever surrounds you. And that's Anne Shirley to a T. Okay, Jillian, what is your third and final book that turned you into a reader? So my third book isn't a singular book, but an entire series. And technically, there are two series that shape me as a reader. I couldn't really decide between them because they both played an equally large role in my reading life. In the end, I chose to go with The Babysitter's Club, which I believe is one of the quintessential childhood reading series of our generation. Yes! I could fill an entire episode talking about The Babysitter's Club. Anna Martin is the author, and she wrote the majority of the books, but I know some of the later ones were written by ghost authors. It may still have her as um, the author of the book, but they were written by ghost authors. When I was in fourth or fifth grade, I had a friend who loved reading about as much as I did, maybe even more than me. Together, we were completely attached to the Babysitter Club books. I can remember whenever she'd get a new book because she would go to Walden Books constantly and get a new novel with her family. She'd read it as quickly as she could and then hand it off to me. But don't worry. I also borrowed a ton of them from our library because there were there are so many and there's no way that she could read them all quick enough and get them to me before I would borrow them from the library. I remember in the summer, my mom would kick us. So it was myself and my three other siblings out of the house to go play or read anything as long as we weren't in the house. I'd grab a chair and pull it under this really tall, shady bush, which was some sort of flowering bush, but it only flowered in the spring. So by the time summer rolled around, summer is late. Summer comes late at the end of June. So I would pull this chair up under the tree. The flowers would be gone. There'd be very few bugs. And I'd sit there and just read and read and read. I do remember I had a paper out at the time. So there was that that got in the way of reading. But outside of that, I didn't have very many resp summer responsibilities, which meant that there was a lot of books to read. And that was good because I love them so much. In case you're unfamiliar with the series, here's a little setup. 
The Babysitter's Club, also known as the BSC, is a series of novels written by Anna Martin and published by Scholastic between 1986 and 2000. That sold about 176 million copies. That's kind of insane to think about. Martin wrote an estimated about 60 to 80 novels in the series, but the subsequent novels were written by ghostwriters. The Babysitter's Club is about a group of friends living in the fictional suburban town of Stony Brook, Connecticut who run a local babysitting service called the Babysitter's Club. The original four characters were Christy Thomas, founder and president, Marianne Spire, secretary, Claudia Kishi, vice president, and Stacy McGill, treasurer. But the number of members varies throughout the series. The novels are told in the first-person narrative and deal with issues such as illness, moving, and divorce. What's been kind of neat as an adult recently is on Instagram, I came across the painter of the cover images of the original books. I don't know if he did them all through. I kind of lost touch with them, obviously, as an adult. (laughs) But the books from when I was a kid had these beautiful paintings on them. And I found the, the guy who paints them on Instagram and he actually sells them to people. He doesn't say who obviously he sells them to, but he'll post a picture of the painting that he's just recently sold. And he'll say off to a a true babysitter's club lover or something like that. And it's, it's just neat to think of these people who are like myself or you and are buying these paintings to put in their offices or wherever. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. On Instagram, his name is Hodges Soleil O Artist. And We'll have the this information for you to just like kind of click on so you don't have to worry about what I, how to spell that. <laughs> I love the Babysitter's Club. I love, love, love them so much. I'm so glad that you put this in here. So yeah, tell us more. Tell us more. <laughs> so anyway, my mom has been always been a reader and there were always books in my house growing up. But I would say that it was this series that led to me really embracing reading. I learned that books could be deeply enjoyable and that you didn't need to read for any other reason than that because it brings you joy. Though reading for other reasons is okay too. And if you're curious, like I mentioned in the beginning of this spiel, I will eventually mention the other series that I was deeply moved by as a kid, probably eighth grade. I'll share that in a future episode. But I had recently my kids watch the Babysitter's Club live action show on Netflix. And I have to say, I really liked it. I'm not always a fan of books to TV or books to movies, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Oh, that's great. I'm going to check that out. My kids, both my sons have been reading the Babysitter Club graphic novels. Have you seen those? I have. I haven't read any, but I have seen them. They love them, both of them. William and Henry have been reading them. We've gotten them from the library and they've been reading them on my Kobo and they've, they're like totally into it. And I actually have a funny story about the Babysitter's Club, which is I was insatiable for the Babysitter's Club. I would go to the library. I would pull out all of the ones that I had not read. And my mom got to the point where I think she was like worried about me. (laughs) And she was like, you can't just read this. You have to read other books. And I was like, why? And actually, you know, I think my mom would probably laugh at the story now. And I would love to know, like, why she was so worried about it. She, like, banned Babysitter's Club for a summer. And she made me read Jane Eyre. She's like, you will read Jane Eyre. I was eight years old. I was in grade three. (laughs) I was in grade three. She's like, you need to read Jane Eyre. After you read Jane Eyre, you can go back to Babysitter's Club. And I was like, well, I'm going to friggin' get through this Jane Eyre as fast as possible. Well, Jane Eyre is like 
horror compared to the Babysitter's Club. <laughs> I've never read it. And I was at this camp. I was at this camp and I would bring Jane Eyre with me to read on my lunch break because I like was had no interest in kicking the soccer ball around or whatever. <laughs> and so I was reading Jane Eyre and these counselors were like, are you reading? How old are you? Are you reading Jane Eyre? And I was like, I was like, my mom says I can't read Babysitter's Club until I finish Jane Eyre. <laughs> and they were like, okay. That's amazing. Oh my God. Isn't that amazing? If your mom listens to this episode, I would love in a future episode to hear what she thought because that's amazing. I know. I think she would, I think she would retract her decision. And I think we just like, we just like think differently about these things these days. I think I I, I would be so curious to know like what exactly she was, (laughs) she was worried about, but um, babysitters club and Nancy drew, I was like, I would go with come home with stacks 12 inches high. Nancy Drew was huge for me too. Um, My mom, when she was a kid, loved Nancy Drew. So she always encouraged me to read them as well. Oh, yeah. But Babysitter's Club was the number one for me. I remember Scholastic Book Clubs walking in and like, the new ones being there, the the ones that had the white covers. The fatter ones, were, they uh, were like more pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, good. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and walking out of there with those. Oh, my God. It was such a dream. <laughs> oh, this episode is making oh us God. so happy. That was really, really fun. I, I even thought yes. of a few more books, I think, that were really impactful on me while we did this. And at first it was hard. I was like, you know, as I said before, I was like, I've always been a reader. There are no books that started my reading journey, but it is really nice to go back and think about those books that are still kind of like living in a special place in your heart, your book heart. You know, I think back on these books, they're kind of like remembering some of my favorite people and some of my favorite memories, like that Jane Eyre Babysitter's Club memory is really, really fun. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I have to agree. I thought I knew where I wanted to start when I originally, when we were thinking about this episode, but then after hearing what you said about getting back into reading as an adult, I realized how relevant my story of becoming a reader again after or during the pandemic. I love to reminisce. So honestly, it's one of my favorite things to do. I love doing it with my siblings. It probably drives them crazy. My mind just loves when I'm sitting there with nothing to do and I don't have my phone or I'm not reading a book. I will just sit there and I'll just start thinking back over things that have happened in my life. So this whole episode for me was a dream to prepare for. (laughs) I'm so glad. Thank you for listening to us talk about the books that turned us into readers. And we're going to close Medium Lady Reads episodes with a segment we're going to call The Holds List. Jillian and I are very, very passionate about the library. I'm sure that will become clearer in future episodes if it wasn't super clear from this episode. We're both avid users. We both have very active hold lists. And we feel like that's something we don't hear a lot on book podcasts or book talk or IG. So we're hoping it's something new we can offer to the bookish community. So Jillian, I'm really excited to ask you. What's on your holds list? Oh my God. My library holds list is a little out of control. It almost always is a little out of control because fun fact, if you didn't know this, most libraries, if there's a new book coming out, they will put it in their library catalog because they'll order it about a month or two ahead of the publication date. So you can go in and request it and be one of the top people in the holds list. 
anyway, so what happens is my holds list has all these new books that are going to be published but aren't out yet. Right now I have 13 books on hold, but only five of those are ready and waiting for me. So I'll have to make a trip to the library this week. Those five are Yellow Face by R.F. Quang. Hang the Moon by Jeanette Walls, Warrior Girl on Earth by Angeline Bouley, uh, Something Wild and Wonderful by Anita Kelly, Other Birds by Sarah Addison Allen. I think I'm most excited about Hang the Moon. I read The Glass Castle years ago, and I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. And I know this is fiction, but I'm hoping that this book will be as good as her nonfiction books. Yeah, and it's been a long time since The Glass Castle was published. Yes, quite a while. As an adult, I always base my reading of books on where Seamus and I, my husband and I were living at the time. And I remember where we were living and it was a long time ago. So what's on your holds list, Erin? Well, right now I also have 13 items on my holds list. Only one is ready for pickup and it's Piranesi by Susanna Clark. This is a book I kind of impulsively decided to put on hold because uh, Meredith Monday Schwartz from the Currently Reading podcast had listed it as one of her like favorite books of all time. And I'm trying to do a more mindful read on people who influence my choices and whether or not they're actually a match for me. Because sometimes people might influence your choice because they're in your sphere. Like I listen to every currently reading episode. And so I feel like Meredith influences a lot of what I read, but I haven't actually thought like, are my reading tastes aligned with her reading tastes? And so Piranesi is going to be the litmus test for whether that's actually true. And it might just give me a little pause when I hear Meredith say on the podcast, I love this book to sink. Will I love it? Do I love the same books that Meredith loves? So I'm excited about that. And then next up, I have Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. This is a young adult fantasy fiction. It's been everywhere. Part of me was like, I'm not going to read that. And then I'm going to read it. I couldn't. I have like book FOMO about it. It's giving very like Divergent Hunger Games vibes. And uh, while I wouldn't say Divergent and Hunger Games are some of my favorite books of all time, they're definitely books that I remember. And I you know, devoured reading. And that can be a really fun, entertaining reading experience. So yeah, those are the two books that I think are coming up next. And I have Warrior Girl Unearthed on my list. I am, I think, number two in queue. So I'm really excited for that to come out because Firekeeper's Daughter was one of my favorite books of 2021. So good. And um, so I'm, I have super high hopes for Warrior Girl Unearthed. I can't wait to hear what you think of it, Jillian. Yes, I will let you know. The, um, oh, the Piranesi, that is a book that I've had on my TBR for ages and I have yet to read. So I am very curious to hear what you have to say about that. And then Fourth Wing, I have not seen a single bad review about it. Me neither. I, um, I have that. That's one of mine on hold, but I'm like super down the line. So it'll be a while. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody loves it. Nobody hates it. So I'm yes. like, well, all right. Not a single one. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, everybody. That wraps up Jillian. We did it. Our first episode. This wraps up the first episode of Medium Lady Reads. Medium Lady Reads is a spinoff of the Medium Lady Talks podcast and Instagram community. You can find me, Erin, on Instagram at medium.lady. You can find Jillian at Jillian Finding Happy. Both will be linked in the show notes. For more of our current reads and other shenanigans, If you like this episode, please share it with another bookish friend or post on Instagram and be sure to tag us because we would be tickled pink to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Erin. And I'm your other host, Jillian. Until next time, we hope your library holds come up quickly. And your next book finds you exactly when you need it most. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.